Hey folks, this is Kevin. On this week's episode of Risk, you'll hear Aisha Tyler. I went on with my life and I, I had sex with other people because I'm not dead. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> fucking and love are not the same thing. That and more. But before that, folks, the storystudio.org is where you can find our school. At the Story Studio, we offer a wide variety of workshops and training opportunities, including our two-day workshops over Zoom on storytelling for performance, storytelling for business, storytelling for personal growth. You can also do one-on-one training with any of our faculty members who are the same folks who do the story coaching for risk. And you can check out videos, free videos of webinars and learn about our custom tailored workshops for businesses and other teams. The best way to dig into storytelling as a creative outlet or a career booster is to jump on in, jump on in on the fun at thestorystudio.org. The national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new car. Like a legendary Camry, built for performance and available with all-wheel drive, you can count on your new Camry to get anywhere you need to go. And with available features like heated seats and a multimedia touchscreen, you can stay connected in comfort and style. Or check out an affordable and reliable Corolla with a trim for every lifestyle. From the hip and agile sedan to the sporty hatchback, there's a dependable Corolla built just for you. Plus, both Camrys and Corollas are available in hybrid models. So no matter your style, you can drive efficiently and affordably. And right now, your local Toyota dealer has more vehicles in stock and is making delivery on new vehicles almost every day. So visit your local Toyota dealer. And check out amazing national sales event deals on Camrys, Corollas, and more when you visit buyatoyota.com. Offers end April 1st. Toyota, let's go places. Let Tend Dental make your dream smile a reality. We offer a variety of top-rated treatments, including Invisalign aligners. And for a limited time, Tend is offering $750 off orthodontic treatments. Offer valid through January 31st, so don't wait. Visit hellotend.com slash sale. That's hellotend.com slash sale. And book your free consult today. Now here's the show. kids this is risk the show where people tell true stories they never thought they'd dare to share i'm kevin allison this is hank levy behind me now and we're calling this week's episode all-star episode two now there have been more than two all-star episodes but the numbers have gotten confusing or or what who cares it's an all-star episode We have four really fun stories and a bunch of crazy interstitials and music. This is going to be a jam-packed episode today. And if you're brand new to the podcast, please go back and check out our past two new episodes, Cults and The Light. 
And also check out some Best of Risk episodes. And tell your friends to, too. <laughs> now, right before we jump in, I want to say that the next two Risk live shows that you can catch in person on stage or via live stream are coming up. The Risk Los Angeles show returns on March 15th at 7 p.m. Pacific time at the Hotel Cafe. Incredible cast for that first show back in Los Angeles. David Crabb, Katie Featherston, Keisha Zoller, J. Keith Van Stratton, and Brian Kett. That is going to be such a fun show. And then on March 17th, Risk is back in New York City at Caveat on the Lower East Side at 9.30 p.m. Eastern. I'll be there. Aton Levine, Tracy Segarra, Molly McCloy, and DJ Crystal Clear. Another amazing show. So get your tickets for those live shows or for the live streams of them at risk-show.com slash tour. Let's get to the stories now. In a little bit, you're going to hear from Carrie Kenny Silver. You might know from Reno 911, Superstore, uh, old show called The State. <laughs> But first, a story from A.J. Jacobs, the best-selling author of books like The Year of Living Biblically or Drop Dead Healthy. Here is A.J. Jacobs now with a story we call My So-Called Life. So I am a writer at Esquire magazine, and uh, I do a lot of articles where I'm a human guinea pig. So I'll test out a lifestyle for a bit and then report back. So for one article, I told the unfiltered truth for a month and then uh, wrote about that. Or uh, I wrote a book <coughs> a few years ago where I followed all the rules of the Bible for a year. So I... Uh, <laughs> I obeyed the Ten Commandments, I grew my beard, uh, which was like, by the end, there was quite some topiary on my chin. And so these experiments are not always great for my marriage. Uh, <laughs> just to give you an example, is the Bible says that you cannot touch women during their time of month. But if you obey Leviticus really literally, which I did, you cannot sit on a seat where a menstruating woman has sat because then the seat is impure. And my wife found that offensive, so she sat in every seat in our apartment. <laughs> and uh, I was forced to stand for much of the year. So, so it causes some tension, is what I'm saying. Uh, but a couple of years ago, I got a phone call that could change everything. I could make it all up to Julie because a Hollywood producer wanted to turn our lives into a TV show, a sitcom. And my wife, Julie, loves television. I mean, she literally has a collection of TV guides stretching back to 1982. So if you want, like, the Cagney and Lacey cover, she's got it. Uh, so the sitcom would be about me and Julie, and uh, the, the main character would work at a men's magazine, and every week uh, he would do another experiment. Wackiness would ensue, and uh, 
and then the wife would forgive him after 22 minutes. So my wife, my wife loved this idea. You know, it was like a dream come true to be a sitcom character. So we said, yes, the sitcom writers come to our apartment and, and shadow us for three days and just grill us. They especially loved our closet because my wife doesn't think that I treat my clothes with enough respect. So she has, uh, she has labeled our closet. So there's a shelf which says, Sweaters for indoor wear, sweaters for outdoor wear, and then there's a sweaters you need permission to wear. So, so they were like, this is going in the script. This is great. We don't have to write anything. A uh, couple of weeks later, things actually start happening. Jack Black signs on as a producer, and NBC agrees to make the pilot, and and, th you know, I'm thinking, maybe this will happen. This is, this is wild. We get the script. It's not bad. It's, uh, you know, it's not cutting edge. It's not Lena Dunham, but it's not bad. Uh, my character is now A.J. Wilder. So I guess because he's a wilder version of myself. Uh, my, my wife, Julie, has now become Stacy, which she hates because I, she, I don't know, there was some girl at camp named Stacy who made fun of her scrunchie. So she hates the name Stacy. But Stacy is a lawyer who graduated Harvard Law School. So my wife is excited about that. She didn't have to go to Harvard, but she got. Now, the next big challenge is, uh, is casting. And I never realized what, how complicated this is. But everyone has to agree. So you've got to get the actors, the producers, the managers, the agents, the studio, the network. So it's like the, the budget sequester negotiations, but with better looking people. It's in, uh, so uh, we start out pretty, you know, pretty well. We've got, uh, they're talking to Jason Bateman and Hank Azaria. Uh, a couple weeks go by, nothing is working out. They call, the producers call me and they say, how do you feel about David Arquette? And I said, well, he seems nice. And uh, not that it really mattered, because my, my opinion had no bearing on anything. They were just being polite. But I was actually freaking out, because for some reason, and I, I really can't explain it, in, in several of my books and articles, I had made David Arquette jokes. He just seemed like, you know, everyone else said carrot top, so I would throw in David Arquette. So I talked, my, my sister-in-law, I said, hated cilantro with the passion usually reserved for war criminals and David Arquette. And, <laughs> you know, it's a cheap shot. I feel guilty about it. And then I was freaking out because, you know, what if he read this? And then he's going to be offended. He's going to drop out. The whole thing will collapse. Luckily, uh, the whole thing collapsed anyway because David Arquette, uh, he was going through his divorce at the time and the, uh, he had a car accident, so the net was like, we don't want that. So uh, finally they cast this guy named John Doerr, who is a, a little-known comic from Canada, but he's very funny. So uh, we were happy with that. The network, not so happy, because he was, he was not a big name. So they said, we got to get a big name for the father-in-law. So they got uh, Donald Sutherland, which I was psyched about, because I loved Donald Sutherland ever since uh, Animal House, when he explained that our universe could be the atom in the giant of, in the pinky of a giant. So that blew my mind. I always think of that. Uh, for, the, uh, for my wife, I suggested that we get Minka Kelly, who had been on Friday Night Lights. 
the producers suggested that I stop being a pervert because <laughs> that is not age appropriate. You know, I am not a, not a young man anymore. So they went with a, a woman named Paget Brewster who, uh, who had been a girlfriend of one of the friends. I'm not sure which one. A couple weeks later, they actually start to film the pilot. And my wife and I fly out there just to see what it's like. And it is mind-boggling because they have replicated our lives in Hollywood on these sets. And uh, they have, the, the level of detail is it's lunacy because they, you know, they have our apartment uh, with all these different rooms. You know, it's bigger than our apartment, of course, but uh, <laughs> they have, uh, they, they've built a coffee shop and uh, it's called the Gorilla Coffee Shop and they designed a logo and they made mugs and they put in $3 million into this. Not that I'm getting any of this, but they have put in an incredible amount of money. And remember, this is just a pilot that maybe won't be seen, probably won't be seen, because they make a bunch of pilots and they only choose three or four to put on the air. So it's like building like a, a cruise ship in the desert and hoping that the water comes. You know, it is a, it's a very bizarre system. Uh, so everyone on set is, is lovely, and they're very nice to me. They're very welcoming. Not interested at all in my input. You know, I would make a suggestion, and they would say, no, AJ wouldn't do that. And I'd be like, oh, okay, I guess you know better uh, than me, AJ. Uh, <laughs> Now, everyone is nice, but everyone is also terrified of Donald Sutherland because he's a great actor, but he's also, he's, he's getting old. He's, he's kind of cranky, so he's got a lot of rules. No photos, no smoking within 200 yards of him. And here's my favorite. He actually demands that a certain type of Swiss underwear be provided in his trailer. And... I, why he couldn't bring his own underwear remains a mystery to me. No one was, could explain that. Also, he didn't like the, um, the clapper board, which is what they do the set, you know, scene three, take two. It was too loud. So the clapper board guy had to be very gentle. <laughs> so it didn't disturb. Uh, now, I, I got to meet Jack Black for maybe five minutes. He was, he was lovely in the five minutes I met him, very sweet. Uh, even he was afraid of Donald Sutherland because at one point uh, he said to Donald Sutherland, you know, I have a good feeling about this. And Donald Sutherland said, do not say that because apparently the last time Donald Sutherland heard that was on the set of Revolution with Dustin Hoffman. Uh, Dustin Hoffman said that to him. So you guys remember that movie, right? The thriller about our founding fathers, 19... Exactly. That's Donald, <laughs> that's Donald Sutherland's point. So uh, I'm also a little nervous about the portrayal of people in my life, like my boss, the editor of Esquire, is, uh, is described as a man with no soul who filled the emptiness with expensive gadgets. He's also a drug addict. Uh, he is, uh, when AJ goes into his office, he, the, guy, the boss offers him LSD, Red Devils, South American toad venom. So I'm like, you know, if this actually airs, I might be looking for a new job. Worse was my babysitter, because in real life we do have a babysitter, and she's lovely, she's, uh, but she's very shy, and she, she's Catholic. In the pilot, she dresses like a Tijuana whore, and she is... <laughs> 
there's a scene where she sort of judges my wife for dressing in a schlubby manner. And my wife complains to me, says, I should be judging her for coming to my house with six-inch heels and, hey, check out my vagina pants. And I respond, you don't need to wear tight clothes. Your intelligence is your vagina pants. So, <laughs> which is not a bad line. I liked it, but, you know, if... <laughs> But if my babysitter saw this, she literally would quit at that moment. Uh, now, there were also a surprising number of sex scenes in the show, which is also quite a departure from reality. <laughs> uh, but the sex scenes, you know, were... Uh, Paget Brewster was wearing this lingerie and she had huge boobs which was the talk of the set and Julie was so excited she loved having huge boobs and uh, and there's a scene where Paget Brewster gets out uh, a bottle of massage oil and squirts it into her hand and says get off your pants I had to watch that with my parents like later when <laughs> so you can imagine that was not pleasant uh, so Anyway, over the weeks, the, uh, the, the sitcom is starting, had been having this weird effect on my marriage because we had been starting to act like our sitcom characters. So we had been having more arguments and banter. We would argue about socks on the floor and directions. And Julie started saying lines from the script. She would, at, at first it was a joke. She would be like, what's the dealio? Uh, and, then, <laughs> and then after a while, it wasn't a joke. I mean, she just... <laughs> sounded like uh, Paget Brewster. Uh, on the final day of filming, we, we get our big break, we get to be in the show, we are extras in the coffee shop, and I'm reading a newspaper, and my wife is playing Sudoku. And, uh, you know, in real life, she actually does not do Sudoku, she does uh, crossword puzzles. So this was an acting tour de force on her part. <laughs> I was very proud of her. Uh, so finally, they finish and they submit the pilot to the studio, and it's silence. Nothing from the studio. A week goes by, nothing. Two weeks goes by, nothing. And then three weeks go by, I wish it were still nothing, because then they say, we're going to pass. The head of NBC did not love the, the actor, the main, at least that's what I was told. Uh, and, and our friends all came up to us with this like funeral face, like, I'm sorry for your loss. And uh, the weird thing is, my wife had just the right attitude, because she was not upset at all. She realizes the chances of this getting on the air were so small, but you've got to enjoy the process. And she loved it. She loved the experience. She got to meet Jack Black, and she got to find out Donald Sutherland's underwear of choice. And... <laughs> And, and we got, at the end, we did get the tape. So we, we have what we consider the most expensive home video ever. <laughs> it is. And, and it's starring people who have better skin than we do. So overall, a lovely experience. Thank you. Losing all self-restraint, I sweep everything off my desk. Sending my sweaters and Swiss underwear all clattering to the floor. But I don't give a damn. I lift her up by her pinky and I lay her across the desk so that her vagina spills over the edge. Call me your pervert, baby. I growl, pulling out the condom and clenching my mind boggling. But 
As I move closer, I notice that she smells of cilantro and the Bible reminding me of a Tijuana whore. I sure hope you're ready, I warn her, grabbing hold of her huge boobs and keeping them at her sides. With one schlubby move, I'm inside her. I hold her down and my South American toad venom squirts everywhere. When she comes, she screams louder than a war criminal and I motion to her to be quiet so that the babysitter won't hear. Just like that, we went on for hours. That was the first night that we made love. And although it was lovely, afterwards, I was still feeling like a human guinea pig. So I had to go to one of my first movie premieres of a movie that I had, you know, a, a whole line and a half in or something. And uh, my girlfriend said, well, you know, when, when are you going to the to the tanning salon? And I said, what What do you mean when am I going to tan? She said, well, you can't go to a movie premiere and not have a spray tan. So I said, well, of course, I'm going on Tuesday. And so I took myself to a, a tanning salon in um, Malibu, California, and uh there are some delightful young ladies who work there who and I had to say, you know, I've I've never done this before, but I I need to get a spray tan and and how do I go about doing this because I I don't I don't I didn't even know that this existed. So they were like, "Okay, totally, this is so easy. You just put the bonnet on your head and then you like take the cream and then you just like push the button and then if you want your like headphones and you push this button and then you do the spray for like 2 seconds and then you turn left and then you turn the spray and then you turn left and then you push the button, but be careful don't touch this button and then when you're done you push this bottle. But if you want vanilla, we don't have any more vanilla, but we have um, lavender, but the lavender is kind of gross to me. So I usually do the gardenia, but uh, we don't have any gardenia either. So I'm just going to give you this um, primrose oil and it smells really good. And you can just put that on and then, but don't put on your hands because if you put on your hands and it will burn. But what I usually do is I put tissues on my hands and then I stand on the thing and then, but don't put the eye goggles on because then it will make um, your eyes look like raccoons. So, okay. Um, I got to go because um, this, my friend is on the other line, but go ahead. Um, go in the booth and good luck with your spray tan. So um, easy enough, right? Simple directions. So I go in, strip down naked. Um, it's freezing cold. It's I swear it's winter and the, the air conditioning is on. So already, you know, uncomfortable. There's a mirror, a giant uh, floor to ceiling mirror. Um, not so flattering. You know, I'm, uh, <clears throat> I'm getting up there. And uh, had just, you know, popped out a kid. So it's not the most attractive sight in the world. And uh, I put on the bonnet. It's a paper uh, bonnet, also attractive. And I'm trying to remember what I do with the creams. Do I put them on my hands? Do I not put the... And I'm way too embarrassed of this. I'm butt naked standing on a concrete floor in the middle of this. I'm way too embarrassed to say, excuse me, could I please have some help? So I guess to, to from from the precise directions that she gave me how, how to go about this. I think I have a college degree. Of course, I can use a, a tanning uh, spray booth. So I put the cream where I think the cream goes. I um, step into the space pod looking thing and I close the door. It's pitch black in there. And this robot voice says to me, your spray tan will begin in five, four, 
and then all of a sudden the jets go off. And I am not prepared. So my mouth is open, my eyes are open, I have my arm up because I'm trying to reach for the button on the wall. This freezing cold, ice cold, acidy feeling jet comes spraying into my mouth at my face. I freak out, I come busting out the door, I fall out into the hallway of the tanning place, bump completely, physically actually bump into Pamela Anderson in the hallway, butt naked, shower cap, half a spray tan on half my face, spray tan on my tongue, and practically weeping. Pamela Anderson was not as shocked as I expected her to be for someone who was just basically blindsided by a sort of overweight white woman with a half a spray tan uh, foaming at the mouth from drinking spray tan juice. I didn't go back in and try to get fixed. I said, you know what? I'm good. I think this is just the look I was going for. Thank you, ladies, for your explicit instructions. I looked great at the premiere. I looked really great. I just... um, I told everyone it was a choice. Just, you know, the half tan. That's how we do it in Malibu. So I had to go to my first universe. My girlfriend said, well, you know, when, when are you going to the, to the tanning salon? And I said, what, what do you mean when am I going to tan? She said, well, you can't go to a universe and not have a spray tan. So I took myself to a a tanning salon. I told the unfiltered truth for a month. I wrote a book where I followed all the rules of the tanning salon for a year. So I I obeyed the delightful young ladies who work there. I grew my beard. I put on the bonnet. And so these experiments are not always great for my spray tan. So... Hollywood producer wanted to turn our lives into a tanning salon. So my wife, my wife loved this idea. You know, it was like a dream come true to be a tanning salon character. So we said yes. A couple of weeks later, things actually start happening. NBC agrees to make the tanning salon. And they were like, okay, totally, this is so easy. You just put the bonnet on your head and then you like take the cream and then you just like push the button. And then if you want your like headphones and you push this button. And I said... I never realized what, how complicated this is. I don't, I didn't even know that this existed. So they were like, this is great. Now, the next big challenge is Jack Black found that offensive. So I was forced to stand for much of the year. I suggested that we get... Vanilla, we don't have any more vanilla, but we have um, lavender, but lavender is kind of gross to me, so... The network's like, we don't want that. I believe all fairy tales and serendipitous encounters Catch a tiger by the tail and make a wish Drink from the fountain I believe love will prevail The path is clear for me to follow Shooting stars will leave a trail for me to fill With joy and sorrow
This is Risk. This is Elizaveta behind me now, and we just heard an interstitial by our editor Taj Easton featuring clips from Carrie Kenny's story and A.J. Jacobs' story. Before that, we heard from Carrie Kenny Silver, and before that, we heard that insane interstitial by our editor Hope Brush, that sort of Fifty Shades of Grey one with bits of A.J. Jacobs thrown in there, too. Poor A.J. (laughs) He's getting uh, remixed all over the place today. Now, folks, don't forget, over at patreon.com slash risk, there is over 150 bonus stories and about 60 check-ins. Those are interviews with storytellers or me just audio journaling about how things are behind the scenes here, conversations with our faculty members. In order to continue producing such unique content, we really and truly do need as much support as possible from the people who love our show. So that is over at patreon.com slash risk. And if you want to make a one-time donation, that's at paypal.me slash risk show. Knowing how to speak and understand a new language can be an invaluable tool when traveling, meeting new friends, or just even to master a new skill. But it's not always simple when you're bogged down by textbooks and structure classes. That's why so many people trust Rosetta Stone. Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program, available on desktop or as an app. It truly immerses you in the language you want to learn, like Spanish, French, Italian, Chinese, and more. You won't just be studying English translations. The Rosetta Stone intuitive process helps you pick up a language naturally, first with words, then phrases, then sentences. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com rs10. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com rs10 today. Shipping can make or break a sale, so optimize how you ship your orders with ShipStation. They make it easy to automate and manage orders no matter how big your business grows. And they might even be able to help reduce shipping and warehouse costs. So optimize and keep up your momentum for growth with ShipStation. Sign up for your free 60-day trial now at ShipStation.com and use the code P-O-D. That's ShipStation.com with the code P-O-D. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Let's get back to the stories now. In a little bit, we're going to hear from Aisha Tyler from Fear the Walking Dead, Archer, Criminal Minds. But before that, W. Kamau Bell from his series on CNN, United Shades of America, and his miniseries on Showtime, We Need to Talk About Cosby. Here is Kamau Bell now with the story we call Squeamish. 
Hey, um, so as a kid, I was uh, one of those kids who was squeamish about everything. Like, you know, there's kids who like bugs and like being outside. And I was not that kid. I don't like the outside. I didn't like the outside. I was weird about food. I, I didn't like to eat weird foods. But when I was a kid, cheese was a weird food for some reason. And uh, like, I'm not like this now, but I've sort of changed. But like, I didn't want my food to touch on the plate. So you might, you know, thank you, Beowulf. Uh, so anybody else, like you, like you have to keep your food separate, like a fucking, I don't know, like a map, like the borders have to stay solid. No war. I just really didn't, like, I didn't like to eat off the same fork as somebody. I didn't like to drink after people. Uh, I didn't like to drink after my mom. And I was actually more paranoid about that than drinking after anybody else. There was something, I don't, the only way I could describe it, I felt like drinking after my mom would be like, it was like the DNA was too similar or something. And it would be like crossing the streams in Ghostbusters, maybe. So I was just always like wanted just a clean, basic area and didn't want to like, I remember there was a book that I read as a kid, How to Eat Fried Worms. And I just remember being like, if that book had been about me, it would have been one page. Would you like to eat fried? No, <laughs> this book is over. So I've spent all my life growing up not wanting to be, like, not wanting to be around just, like, the processes of humanity. So I'm an adult, and I got married, and my wife is the person who's, like, always wanting to be outside and always wanting to, like, run through the fucking mud and all that kind of shit. And I'm cool with that. You do that. I'll be inside watching TV. But she got pregnant, and uh, it was just this whole thing where suddenly I had to confront all of this stuff. So we go to the, go get a pregnancy test and, you know, you got to pee on the stick and yeah, you go handle peeing on that stick and you pee on the stick and it's the one where it's either a minus or a plus. It's that weird thing where it came up and I was like, is that really a plus? I mean, it's plus-ish. But is that really a plus? I'm like, you know what? I want to get the pregnancy test that says pregnant, not pregnant, the digital one. So we went back out again. We go, to a we go to two different stores. I'm like, I want the one that says pregnant, not pregnant. So we go, get it. we go to another store. We get the one that says pregnant, not pregnant. She pees on it again. She brings it in. She puts it down on the table. I say, put some napkins down first. <laughs> and we're sitting there. And it's like, it takes three minutes. I'm like, good. We got the one that says whether or not it's pregnant, not pregnant. It'll take three minutes. Pregnant, pregnant, pregnant. <laughs> I highly recommend getting the one that yells at you. That was really effective. <laughs> So she's pregnant, and now it's this whole thing of like, it's not the 50s anymore. Like when your wife is pregnant in the 21st century, you go to the appointments, and you sit in the room. And like the first appointment we went to, the, the nurse practitioner is like, all right, ma'am, lay down, and I'm sitting there, and she's just like, whoop. And she's like grabbing, what's that part inside your body, ladies? The thing. <laughs> and I'm sitting right there, like, do I need to be here? And I think they want the man to be there in that moment and all throughout those moments to let you know you couldn't do any part of this shit. You couldn't be her. You couldn't be me. Not even physically you couldn't do it. You emotionally couldn't handle this. So just look at it and watch it happen and watch it go down. So she's like, you know, she's going through the thing of pregnant. My wife is, like I said, she's all outside, which of course means she wants natural childbirth. And she's like, I'm not going to take any drugs. I'm just going to like fucking like, I don't know, will it out. I don't know how that works. I'm just not, no drugs, and, and it was funny because she, like, I remember it was like, I was asleep, and she was past due, and I woke up, and Mara was staring at me with a smile on her face, and I'm like, what? She's like, my water broke, and I was like, ah, right here in the bed, I'm sleeping on broken water? <laughs> like, hey, let a Negro know. 
so we go to the hospital and it's the whole thing. And she's like, I want natural. And you have to remind the hospital when you want natural childbirth because it's not good, bad, or indifferent, but they're just used to like pumping people full of everything. And so she's constantly telling somebody, they go, well, you have to meet with the anesthesiologist because he, that's just what we have to do. He can tell you what is available to you, but you have to meet with him. And she's like, all right, bring him in here. And it was just totally grumpy, bitter, like anesthesiologist, like we got, we got this, we got this, we got one of these, we can shove a thing in your thing and you won't feel anything. We got fucking all sorts of fucking California, we got weed, whatever you need. And she's like, I want natural childbirth. And he's like, ah, I've never seen that happen before. And he said like he'd never seen a woman have a natural childbirth. I'm like, yeah, dude, you're the anesthesiologist. <laughs> you know what I mean? They don't call you when it works. <laughs> like, like, that's the dumbest thing. Like a fireman, I have never been called to a burning house that wasn't burning. Well, no shit, man. That's why they called you. <laughs> but now it's this point where, like, the woman dilates enough. And at the whole time, I'm like, my wife's head is here. And I'm, like, here the whole for, like, eight hours of, like, the beginning to go through labor. I'm like, hey, honey, you can do this. It's all happening down there. And so then when the point that it gets dialed up, they, they call the medical staff to come in and the place gets flooded with people, like just flooded with all sorts of people. And the thing that is a very clear at that moment, they don't give a shit about me at all. I'm not saying they should, I just noticed. <laughs> like nobody's talking to me, nobody, it's just, I'm on my, life, my wife's right side and I have her leg and they're just like, oh good, we have a stool to put her leg on. <laughs> and so the leg is on my thing and I'm and she's pushing and she's but at the, it's something about this point like again it's not the 50s I imagined like the waiting room with the walking around and the looking at sports scores even though I don't like sports you know what I mean like but I'm here and something about it I knew I'd be in the room but I imagined there would be like for some reason I thought my wife was like 20 feet tall and I would be up by her head and her body would be way down there but I'm under her leg so it's like ha. So all the things that are happening are happening right here. I have a better view of that than she does. And so it's like, you know, it's all happening and it's a bubbling and it's pushing and it's things and it's all sorts of stuff. And I realized in that moment, I was so like in the thing that I wasn't thinking about it. You know what I mean? Like I wasn't, I wasn't like, uh, it was just like, uh, we got to do this. We got to make this happen so we can get this out of you. <laughs> it just felt like, it felt like a project. It just... <laughs> this is causing a problem. It is hurting. You're sweating a lot. You've yelled many times. Let's get this out of here. Get this to the hospital. We can go home and go back to watching TV. <laughs> so it's all happening right near my face. And it's like there's sweat and there's blood. And there's a, and, there's a, and then as she's crowning and the head goes back in and out. And it's partially coming through in the baby. And then it's like, it's like your baby. But in that moment, it's not your baby. It's very much like, I don't know what that is. And your baby comes out, and my daughter comes out, and she's covered in all sorts of stuff. And they quickly, like, wipe her off and put a hat on her head, and they hand you the baby. You're like, it's my baby! <laughs> like, I don't give a shit, it's my baby, and it's my baby, and she's looking right at me, and we're all together. And then they hand it to my wife, and she's crying, and we're crying. And, and all of a sudden, they, I look back, and then a flood <laughs> of more liquid than my wife has room for just comes out onto the floor, just everywhere, just no drop cloth, just wow. And I see it, and I'm like, huh, what? all right, this is just, I'm like in the thing, I'm like, that's just what happens, It's what happens, I'm good. And I'm with my wife in the flood, and it's all colors and different shades of red and blues and oranges, 
and I'm looking at my wife and I'm cool. And then all of a sudden I hear the nurse practitioner say, or the OB, somebody in there who had a degree says, wow, this is the biggest placenta I've ever seen. And I went, I'm good. I don't need to see that. Just go ahead and take that on out. I'll just take your word for it. I don't have any placentas to compare it to, so I'll just take your word that that's a good one. <laughs> I'll, I'll look for it in your office when you mount it on the wall. Uh, and so now my daughter is 16 months old, and she's my buddy, and she's awesome, and she's amazing. And I realize it's like my whole perspective on all this has changed, like, my daughter will, will drink out of a thing, and I'm like, hey, is that good? And I'm like, I'm drinking out of the thing, and we're passing it back and forth. The streams aren't crossing. And I realized I'd come to a new level recently. Uh, we had had, I think we had ordered some, we had had some chicken, this awesome chicken. And I cut it off, and I say, hey, hey, Sammy, have some chicken. And my daughter puts the chicken in her mouth, and she goes, and she's like, ah, like a baby, and it just comes out of her mouth. I go, hey, that's good fucking chicken. And that's where I realized I'm not squeamish anymore. Thank you, everybody. Good night. Hold on there, Toby. You're not going to eat that thing, are you? I mean, look at it. It's filthy and covered with germs. Don't you know about germs, Toby? is going to be about a high school crush. And much like sex in high school, um, I think we're all going to be a little disappointed. So... Uh, the thing about being a girl and being in high school is that pretty much you're just this like open, kind of leaky wound <laughs> with feet... And you walk around trying to protect, like, the, the, the part that doesn't have a scab. And pretty much everybody else just is a finger just poking you in the part <laughs> with no scab. So um, when I was in high school, I, um, like all girls, I was uh, constantly in love. And everything was fucking coming to an end. Much like the Mayans, everything was always about to come to a fucking end. Right? If this doesn't happen, I'm going to die. Right? If I don't get an A, I'm going to die. If there aren't microwave burritos at lunch, I'm going to fucking die. <laughs> and I like this boy. Um, not in a normal, like, I like you and it's nice, but like, a, oh, God, I like you so much. The inside of me is on the outside. Like that. <laughs> Anybody's ever felt that way? Just... My guts are right next to my bus pass. Um, just can't figure out which one to put in the hole. And uh, do you take spleen on this bus? So I liked this boy, and I liked him so much that, like, I couldn't hide it. Like, I couldn't mask it. You know what I mean? I couldn't cover it up at any time. Like, it was just always on the outside, just dangling there like an emotional penis, just hanging down... Just, I wish I had a cup for my feelings so I could cover them up. Everyone knew that I liked this boy. 
it began when you like someone so much and they don't like you back, you start to think of ways to get them to like you. And you, first you go through the normal thing, like I, I'll be nice. Maybe I'll bring them something. Um, uh, you know, one of those shitty cinnamon rolls with the white stuff that looks like uh, semen. Do you like that? I could. Um, and then when that didn't work, I started telling people. I felt like, well, maybe he doesn't understand, and maybe someone articulates it to him really clearly that I like him so much. He'll at the very least feel sorry for me and start looking me in the eye when I speak to him instead of treating me like a dog or a homeless person. And so everyone, just slowly, everyone in my school knew that I, people that didn't know me were like, that's the big black girl that likes that guy. And, um, and it was just awful because this guy did not like me. He was not interested in me in any way. And I just persisted in the way that one persists when one is young and thinks that the world is coming to an end the next day. And I went on with my life, and I, I had sex with other people because I'm not dead. Uh, <laughs> fucking and love are not the same thing. And um, he graduated, and he went away. Um, and I made friends with his brother because I thought that would work, right? That's always worked, right? Hanging around with the brother hoping that the older brother's going to stumble over you. You're naked. Might as well fuck you. Uh, uh, I would have tried anything. And I gave up on this boy and moved on. And then this boy came back to my high school in the way that boys who graduate from high school do when they go on to college and suddenly realize that no one gives a fuck about you and your long hair and your ironic pants, you fucking douchebag. <laughs> go back to the girls that needed you badly. And uh, so he came back to my high school. This one night we were all out drinking and this boy was paying attention to me. And he was interested in me and he was listening to my stories and he was looking me in the face and it looked like something was going to happen. And I got... So I, I will just say as a corollary or an aside that um, I've, I've realized as an adult that I have high tea. I don't know if you've seen these ads where it's like a balding guy who's got a paunch and it looks a little sweaty and he's like, I don't have any testosterone and no one wants to fuck me. I'm rubbing this shit on my armpits. I hope it works. Um, if, you, if any of you guys have low testosterone, you could rub me on your armpits. I'm full of it. I'm one point of tea away from being a... a being Chaz Bono and uh, <laughs> so if I smell like if, you, if I smell that like fucking's gonna happen I mean I just ah, you're like a dog <laughs> like a pointer <laughs> <laughs> uh, penis so it seemed like something was gonna happen with this guy and I just lost my mind because when you're wishing for something when you're praying for it with your entire body with your soul with everything that you have with every little bit of teenage fucking tragic bullshit that you have in your body, and then it seems like it might happen, it's like all the keys on a typewriter going at once. Do you know what I mean? And you freeze like a robot whose algorithm is not working, and you just freeze, stop in place. And so on this night, I had this thing where I thought, oh God, the thing I've wanted since I was a freshman is going to happen. What do I do? What, 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 what? And then when my algorithm started functioning again, it said, get drunk, which is obviously what I should have done. So the best way to deal with a high emotion situation where there's a lot of tension and very high stakes is to get fucked 
fucking wasted. <laughs> Anybody who tells you that booze is not the answer has not drunk enough. Um, so I decided that the good thing to do to kind of manage my emotions and my feelings and push them back down, 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 down into the darkness was to drink a lot. So I started to drink, and um, this being the 90s, I was drinking malt liquor. Don't fuck you and your racist thoughts. You're all racist for laughing. All of you. It was very high-end malt liquor. I believe it was a peach wine cooler of some kind. And followed by a bottle of nitrine, because fuck yeah. And, uh, I mean, I'm not an idiot. That shit's cheap. So... I drink this booze out of a bottle in a bag because I'm classy and I'm also apparently Red Fox. And um, <laughs> and I get very, very drunk. And then me and this, this person, this, this boy that I've been, this fucking human croissant that I've been wanting to eat for three years, we go back to my house and we fool around. And it's like the end scene in Pulp Fiction when they open the, the briefcase and a golden light comes out I get this guy in my bed and I open the briefcase and just beautiful angels and, and we fool around and it's so incredible and we're all over the bedroom things are being broken lives are being changed someone crushed a tibia it was amazing it was the best night of my life. It was perfect. It was everything I had dreamed of. Or it would have been if I had remembered any of it. <laughs> I woke up the next morning. Didn't know how I got there. The boy was there. That was awesome. That part was great. <laughs> it's like looking at an empty pizza box and not remembering eating a pizza. Do you know what I mean? Like, it's really fucking depressing. <laughs> I was like, oh, that pizza, Jesus Christ, it was made out of golden baby's tears. <laughs> and you're like, I don't even have an aftertaste of pizza in my mouth. I don't even, I don't remember, I don't even remember chewing. I don't even feel full. What happened? But he's a sweet boy. And so he says, uh, it was awesome and you missed it. And uh, it's like a raider rub my nose in it. I don't like you that much anymore. Uh, and then we decided to go out and eat something because I was hungover. And I, as I've said before, the best way to deal with uncomfortable feelings, anxiety, and fear is to drink. And then the way to deal with a terrible hangover is to eat a falafel sandwich. Uh, uh. So we went and we get a falafel, uh, nice and hot, spicy, full of fat and uh, Middle Eastern things that don't agree with me. I eat this, I fuck this falafel up because if I'm not going to remember sex, I'm going to fucking remember eating a fucking falafel sandwich. I mean, I was, there was tahini all over. The, ah, ah, I got sesame in my ass crack. And, and then I drink a beverage which we don't have anymore in the United States. It's a koala. Does anybody remember this? It was a, like a fizzy fruit drink. Yes, thank you, sir. And uh, I pound this koala drink. And I'm happy because I didn't, I don't remember what we did, but I do, it happened. I've been told, and, um, and I'm in this car with this boy that I like, and we're driving down Mission Street in San Francisco, and the sun is out, which rarely happens, so of course the world's about to come to an end there, and I'm full of falafel, and I'm in the car with this boy, and I'm thinking, you know, we're still hanging out, may, we'll make it happen again, right? Go, go for round two. Um, I won't drink all the malt liquor this time, just half. And, and then my body decides to show me who's the boss. Oh. And 
And I was a professional drinker. I started young. So I knew what was about to happen, and I knew what to do. I rolled down the window, and I stuck my head out. We were going maybe 15 miles an hour in a business district, people. (laughs) Walking dogs. (laughs) Reading Family Circle. (laughs) And there was a giant negress. Puking out of a car window. (laughs) At just the right speed for the vomit to blow out of the passenger side window. Then back into the rear passenger side window. And all over the back of the car. I mean, at least it didn't blow back into my face. Fuck the back of the car. But um, (laughs) I don't think that I could be humiliated any more than I was at that moment. Until the boy said, oh my God. Stop that. This is my girlfriend's car. (laughs) To which I responded, fuck that bitch. Thank you, good night. There's something from the Norman Rockwell painting. With my penis? Angle of the dangle going. The boing, boing, boing. You know, the angle of the dangle equals the cubic of the pubic. <laughs> oh, penis! Don't forget to thank the Lord for this bountiful penis! Where, where do you put the penis? Oh, penis! Dangling there like an emotional penis, just hanging down. Dangling there like an emotional penis, just hanging down. Penis dangling there like an emotional penis, just hanging down. Penis. all for this week's episode folks this is the grapes of wrath behind me now and we just heard a little interstitial by our episode editor jeff Barr. before that we heard a story from aisha tyler and before that another interstitial by our episode editor jeff Barr. Want to say thanks to Tim McMiller and Evan Miller Waitlet for the interstitials that they sent in as well. And if you are a you're an audio kind of person, <laughs> you like to edit things together or write songs or whatnot, write to me at Kevin at Risk Show.com and I'll let you know how you can get involved in all that audio fun that we do on the show.
Folks, don't forget that you can hire me personally for storytelling training over at kevinallison.com. You can also hire me to send a little personalized video message to yourself or to someone you love. That is at cameo.com slash thekevinallison. Also, don't forget to follow us on our socials on Twitter and Facebook and Instagram. We're at Risk Show. There's a couple of wonderful places where people just discuss the stories on the show. One of them is the Risk Podcast Fans Discussion Group on Facebook. There's our subreddit, Risk Podcast. And there's everything else you could possibly want to know about the show at risk-show.com. You can also find me on Twitter and Instagram at the Kevin Allison. Folks, today's the day. Take a risk. So they got uh, Donald Sutherland. I loved Donald Sutherland ever since uh, Animal House when he explained that our universe could be the atom in the pinky of a giant. So that blew my mind. So that blew my mind. Okay, so that means that our whole solar system could be like one tiny atom in the fingernail of some other giant being. Oh, this is too much. That means that one tiny atom in my fingernail could be, could be one little tiny universe. Could I buy some pot from you? And today we're answering the extraordinary question, what if the universe is an atom? An atom?